If no one sheds light on what is being done in the darkness, it will never stop. One in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused and told to hush. Breaking the silence is the first step to healing. Healing is a lifelong journey. Find your voice. Your story matters. Pain put me into hiding. Purpose called me out. May the silence be broken. Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien and now Nicole Braddock Bromley. Welcome back to the One Voice Podcast with Nicole and Mary. And we have a really amazing expert guest today. I, I'm really excited about this one, especially because it's a topic I think we can all relate to, but we wish we couldn't. <laughs> and as sexual abuse survivors, I think, you know, obviously that's something we feel the same way about, but it's something we've been talking about for a while. And today um, we're talking with Matt Pfeiffer. He is a therapist, a trainer, a toxic relationship, narcissism, trauma, and emotional abuse expert. So now you know why I'm saying all that. And he's also a new author, and I'm excited to um, share a little bit about him and his book with you today. So welcome to the podcast, Matthew. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I appreciate you guys inviting me on, and uh, I love the work that you guys do. Thanks. Awesome. Well, you know, so many survivors of sexual abuse, I think are also recovering from, or maybe currently involved or entangled in a relationship with a narcissist, or obviously have patterns of toxic, you know, relationships and sadly, but also probably humbly, I would say many of us have narcissistic tendencies too. And I want to get to that a little bit later, Matthew, I have so many questions for you today. Um, but I just, I just think that this podcast today will really bring hope and help to a lot of people just through the wisdom of your work, um, and helping them to, I think, look at the, the signs around them. And I would love for you to kind of just start off there, like maybe even just defining narcissism for those who are listening. I know we've heard this term many times, but some of us not, might not really know what that means. And then tell us a little bit too about your new book. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I think that to answer both those questions, they really do go hand in hand because the book that I wrote, a lot of times people who are struggling in a toxic narcissistic relationship, they, uh, they oftentimes it may not be a romantic partner. It could be a family member. It could be a uh, workplace dynamic, supervisor, coworker. And one of the things I love about the book is that quite often, most books that you read, they're dealing with one of those issues, a romantic partner, a workplace dynamic, mm-hmm. where this helps people recognize it in all, as- in all aspects. So mm-hmm. whether you're dealing with it at work, you know, it just helps you recognize uh, it's very, very, it's a very easy read. Um, You know, I'm a big believer in not talking over people's heads and using a lot of jargon. Um, And so it's, it's very easy to read, very easy to uh, listen to. Eventually it's going to be available on audible. Um, Mm -hmm. But what narcissism is, is um, if if I could just put it into very short, easy term without getting too clinical is a person who quite often people think that narcissists are um, confident. They present themselves as very confident. They present themselves as someone who has everything all together, which and they're oftentimes very, very charming, which is the reason why uh, it is so difficult to spot out. But internally, they are actually deeply, deeply insecure. Mm. 
And so with that deep insecurity, uh, and, and I mean deep, because I know a lot of people are probably listening and thinking to themselves, well, I have some, you know, I have some insecure issues too. A lot of people do, right? Mm-hmm. But we're talking about a, an extreme deep insecurity where they will not allow for anyone to come in to, uh, to help work on, on any of these issues. And so they feel that they need to do what, what's called put on this narcissistic mask, make their life around them, make it look and give the image and the portrayal that everything is close to perfect. Well, with that, that also means that people who are closest to them, their significant others, their wives, their husbands, their kids, oftentimes experience the back end of this mask that they're wearing, the, ins- the deep insecurity. So they feel the need to abuse, to exploit, to, and they have a sense, in- sense of entitlement to them mm. to do this. So there's a constant over-evaluation of themselves, mm-hmm. constant devaluation of everyone else. And I don't even say everyone else around them. It's oftentimes the people that are closest to them, which makes it even more difficult, not only to spot, but when people step outside of the, the house and, and let's just talk from a romantic partner setting, you go and you want to ask for help and you ask for advice. And, but because your relationship looks like relationship goals on the outside because of this mask is hard to find help. And everyone thinks that this is something that is going to, that you can work it out because this person presents as someone very intelligent, that they have a great job or they, uh, you know, they're a great mother. If it's a narcissistic uh, woman, uh, there's, you know, they, everyone on the outside is looking at this mask, but you're dealing with an absolute monster on the back end of it. And it could be, physical abuse. It could be mental and uh, emotional abuse. Definitely a lot of gaslighting. Uh, and when we talk about gaslighting, I, I actually don't even like the term gaslighting. The proper term is crazy making. They literally want to drive you crazy because mm-hmm. they need, they, they need you to need them. And and so it's uh it causes what's called a narcissistic codependent dance where the, the narcissist in the relationship, just like any other dance, there has to be a lead and there has to be someone who's following. And so uh, what ultimately happens, uh, this type of relationship is more correlated to an addiction than it ever is like a bad or a, or a, a relationship that two people uh, just don't get along. You know, a lot of times people just try to, you know, people who are on the outside just try to, well, you guys can just go to therapy. Well, narcissist A won't go to therapy. Mm. B, even if they do, they'll begin to gaslight and manipulate the therapist. And it's mm. not, it's not a communication issue. They literally mm. don't want to change. And they feel like the problem is with everyone else and not with them. And they enjoy the the mistreatment of others. Man, you mentioned it's like an addiction. Does that, is that look like it's an addiction to self or is it an addiction to their behavior that's so self-absorbed? When I say addiction, I mean that the, that the two people are addicted to each other. Oh. So this is the reason why a lot of people who mm. are dealing, who are in this relationship, find it extremely difficult to leave because mm. the codependent in the relationship wants to fix the, fix the narcissist. And this is part of their, their addiction that they want to fix them. They want to repair them. Mm. Uh, And then quite often, um, you know, a lot of people call this a trauma bond that Mm. once you leave, even if, you know, I know you, you deal with a lot of people who, who've experienced sexual, um, sexual assault, even in extreme situations like that, they still uh, 
they still feel bad for the person. They feel guilty for the, for leaving the person, you know, everyone deserves a second chance. You know, mm-hmm. uh, maybe I, maybe I left at the wrong time, right. When they were about to change, you know, and you're, but the, what the real issue is that you're literally going through withdrawal symptoms. Mm-hmm. And so you, you are literally going through pain. It's lit. It's there's, a lot of correlation between someone who is struggling with the heroin, heroin addiction and someone who's left an abusive, abusive and or narcissistically abusive relationship. Wow. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, I think for many of us, we could almost spot like the narcissist that's like power hungry and they are physically abusive or verbally abusive, you know, from a president to, mm-hmm. you know, to an abusive partner, a CEO of a company. But I would love to hear you even talk about the term that I've recently been researching of covert narcissism, mm-hmm. where it might be someone that's more gentle on the outside, but like their behaviors are just so it's everything literally is about them. Yeah. And, um, and they have no boundaries. No, n- um, none of the narcissists, uh, whether we're talking about um, more of the overt type, like you're, like you're talking about, um, even if, you know, when we really get on that higher end of the scale, they more than likely would be more of like what's called a malignant narcissist. Um, but the overt type where, you know, you, like you said, you can see it and spot it a mile away. Um, you know, they all narcissists, they thrive in chaos. So they create chaos and they, and yes, they abuse. And even in covert narcissists, they, even though they can be physically abusive, they are very, very intelligent. So they won't, they most likely, most of them don't put themselves in position to, um, to physically hurt you, but the mental and emotional abuse and the, the gaslighting and the lying, um, the lying that they do uh, is very, very insidious to the point where, and, and a lot of narcissists do this, but let's just, we'll keep it on the, uh, the covert narcissist. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, um, you know, people think when I, when, when I say, or other people talk about gaslighting, they think it's just lying. It is way worse than lying. This mm-hmm. person is literally trying to dr- make you feel like you're crazy to submit all of your arguments to them. So you're reliant on them even more. And what that could look like is you come home and you, and I, I should probably give the listeners, if you've been through this experience before a trigger warning. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you come home you hang your keys up in the same spot that you always do. A covert narcissist might take those keys and throw them underneath the bed. The next day you wake up and you're like, where the hell are my keys? Right. I'm running late for work. Where are my keys? And then and the covert narcissist will say something like you, uh, you never put them back where, where they belong. You always misplace them. You're always losing things, right. Making you feel like you're the one that did something. So you're literally walking around. And as you're walking around, looking, you know, looking for your keys and you're stressed out because you're running late for work. We can all imagine, you know, at times where we've lost our keys and and they're just sitting there chasing around the house saying, you know, you're, you know, you are so irresponsible and literally dragging you down as you're going through this. So now you're running late. Let's say you find your keys and you're like, why did, how did they, how the hell did they end up underneath the bed? Right. And the narcissist might say, well, you, you know, you just throw your clothes all over the place. Right. And, you know, so obviously they just landed there and making once again, making you feel like you uh, mm-hmm. like, you know, and, and so this situation. Right. If you add this up over, keep in mind, this is someone that, you know, you love, you trust. Why would you ever think that this person hid your keys? 
that goes beyond reason to think that the person that I I married, that I love, that I trust, my mother, my father, my my uh, romantic partner, mm. right, that I share children with, would intentionally try to sabotage me to make me feel like I'm going crazy, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, and so it it is a, a very and, and some some gaslighting is very very right up front in your face, yeah. you know, um, seeing uh, seeing a text message from the opposite sex. Uh, who is this? I don't know who it is. You're the one that found it, right? Um, you know, things like that. Just trying to make you responsible for everything that they're completely innocent that and literally making you feel like you're completely losing your mind. Mm. Right? And so um, when we begin to add all of this up, one of the things that that really happens, uh, a really flagship thing with a covert narcissist, mm-hmm. an overt narcissist likes to be the center of whatever chaos they create, whatever problem, whatever drama they create. A covert narcissist will create the drama, but they're sitting back on the background, watching from the sidelines, kind of pointing and laughing. So a covert narcissist Mm -hmm. may go to your pastor, may go to your your friends, your family. They may inbox them and say something as simple as, I don't know what's going on with so-and-so. I think they're, they might be a little bit depressed. Just talk to them. Don't tell them that I said anything, but just talk to them next time you see them, right? And then guess what? They get in your face, like, what's wrong with you? You seem like you're depressed. What's what's up with you? Even though everything's perfectly normal with you and you're like, nothing's wrong with me, right? Everything's, I'm, I'm actually having a good day. Then all of a sudden you get a call from one of your closest friends. Is everything okay? Right? Keep in mind, they're not, They the narcissist told them not to, you know, I just want to check on you just seem kind of odd. So now this whole circle, right, your, your closest circle is saying that something's off with you, even though, and you start to think that you're the problem in the relationship. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very insidious and very, very dark. I, I can't tell you how many people, you know, think that they're the problem in the situation because of the gaslighting. Yeah. I feel like that's a really common one we hear too. It's mm-hmm. like, we think that they are gaslighting. We think they're the narcissist, but then sometimes you question like reality, mm-hmm. like what, and like the and examples the you're intent. giving are, mm-hmm. you know, obvious. I'm yeah. wondering, do, do you think that narcissists know, like, are they aware? 100%. Especially covert. Like, I feel like that's so often, like, even with a lot of times the, those who abused us, you know, mm-hmm. were narcissists, but then there's also the enablers in the family. Mm-hmm. And they become narcissists. And yep. I'm like, but they're like, well, the they don't little- become, they don't become narcissists. What mm-hmm. happens is that um, there's a very, very fine line between someone who's a codependent and someone who's narcissistic. Um, okay. So nar- the codependents actually do have the ability to change and things like that. But the problem is, is that codependents also have a very low sense of uh, sense of security. Uh, they oftentimes, you know, will kind of go with the flow and they just want to please everyone. Right. They, yeah. they have people pleasing tendencies. And so if you have a narcissist with a, you know, that's kind of leading the family, leading the group. Right. They don't want to uh, they don't want to disappoint them. So, yeah, they can easily become a part of the problem, become a part of the pawn, you know, um, their pawn, um, you know, what some people call flying monkeys or abuse by proxy. Uh, and mm-hmm. so even though they may not be narcissists, so to speak, mm-hmm. they have the ability to. Um, to be basically reflect those, those, um, those qualities from the narcissist. That's, that's kind of playing puppet master in the background. A lot of, a lot of times people see this with 
when they're dealing with a narcissistic family member, in particular, a parent, Mm -hmm. um, and they have a a lot of codependent siblings and codependent cousins and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so you just have the narcissist that's telling people and they have them executing orders. And because the codependent struggles with setting boundaries, speaking up for themselves, they struggle with uh, feeling like uh, they, you know, with, uh, again, with people pleasing, they don't want to disappoint anyone. Guess what? Yeah. They comply. Yeah. Which is so common for mm-hmm. abuse survivors. I mean, exactly. especially abuse in childhood, we grow up to keep everybody happy. Like we become an adult so early, we're pleasing mm-hmm. everybody to keep the peace. Meanwhile, you know, we're being abused. And I think we carry that into adulthood and we don't realize it. Mm-hmm. It sets 100%. up a pattern for these kinds of relationships. So, okay. So you've kind of shared some examples and and talked about some of the signs of a narcissist. Like I have so many questions, Matt. Okay. (laughs) Well, for one, like, how do you get out? Can a narcissist change? Like, can you confront one? Does it, I would not recommend it. I would never, ever, ever do it. It causes what's called a narcissistic injury. Once you realize this person is narcissistic, they, number one, they let's talk about change in general. Let's do that. Let's throw narcissism out of the window. We have to be honest. Change is already very, very difficult, right? If we think about just, just the common person with no narcissistic qualities to them, you know, when we start talking about like our new year's resolutions you know, uh, different weight loss journeys, diet journeys, things like that. Change is already difficult. Hmm. Then we add on top of that, a disorder that is telling you that you don't take any responsibility for anything, that you have a sense of entitlement. And you also, one of the main flagships with narcissism is that they lack empathy. So they don't even Hmm. care how their behavior impacts other people. Boom. Wow. That's a hard hitter. Yeah. So the, so the answer is, is no. And then we also add on top of the fact that there's no cure, there's no medication. They don't go to therapy. And even if they do, it's likely that they're going to therapy to, to continue the manipulation. Then finally, we add on to the top of the fact that this person enjoys what they're doing. Why would I ever stop? Right. For for X amount of years, however old I am, you know, uh, however old this narcissist is, it's work for them. They enjoy it. They they feel better about themselves when they're putting other people down. Right. So then we we have to take that one step further. That's the narcissist. But we have to remember, and uh, this is not in a way of victim shaming, but there is not one person in the relationship that needs that needs work. There's two. Yeah. Right. And Mm -hmm. so we have to remember that, so going back again to, to change, yeah. one person is constantly taking, the other person is constantly giving. And when we have that power shift, that power dynamic of, the, of empowering the codependent in the relationship, uh, the narcissist is not going to like that whatsoever mm-hmm. because they have to give up. They have to understand that they have to meet somewhere in the middle and they won't do it, right? There always has to be a winner. There always has to be a loser in every single situation. And if they're losing, they turn themselves into a victim. Right. which makes the codependent feel guilty, makes them feel bad, you know? Mm-hmm. And so unfortunately this is the reason why you don't see videos of me telling people that these things can work out or, you know, give them a second chance. It won't work. Dang that. Yeah. 
I mean, I think that that just is so common, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you want to be able to be in a relationship, like somewhat functioning relationship. Like if it's a family member, I mean, fine. If it's someone that you were dating, like, you know, family. So families, family. Yeah. There's, so I was saying that in terms of a romantic relationship with a family member with a, with, with a family member, um, with friends, um, and let's just talk family because even friends, a lot of times you really should cut them out. Mm-hmm. The big, the big issue with narcissists is when you actually get enmeshed with them, when you're sharing a house, when you're sharing bills, when you share children, mm-hmm. uh, once you get married, that's when it becomes a major problem. Mm-hmm. So with family members, um, it's, you know, again, still a problem if there's, if there's any type of enmesh and en- enmeshment, mm-hmm. right. That you guys have, you guys work together, things like that. But if you're in a completely separate home, I tell people, give it six months, right? We can, uh, I would not recommend this with a romantic partner, but with a, but in a, with a family dynamic and uh, you kind of need to play nice in the sand, so to speak, because you, you know, let's say that you have a great relationship with the rest of your family. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay to go low contact. You don't have, there, you are under no obligation to talk to that family member every single day, the way that they try to make you feel like you, you do. Um, you can talk, you can, you know, let's say that you're talking to, let's say a narcissistic mother mm-hmm. and um, you talk every single day and you're feeling drained. You're feeling, um, you know, this person is gossiping about you with every single, everything that you, all the details that you're giving them. It's okay to drop the amount of time that you're, you're talking to them, right. Mm-hmm. For you to talk drop from every day to once a week. Mm-hmm. Right. And kind of see how that goes. Do that for six months. And if that if you notice that there's still a problem, right, drop it down to biweekly. If that's still a problem, I mean, you can go no contact for six months. Right. Or you can go you can always go lower contact. And, and so let's say that you're talking, let's say you get down to once a month and it's still a major, major problem. Mm-hmm. Then maybe this is only someone this is someone I can only talk to around the holidays. And, you know, we. We, you know, we're not staying the night at their place. They're not staying the night at my place. We are just setting our boundaries. I tell people that for as long as you were with this narcissistic mother, narcissistic father, you were a thermometer, right? When they were up, you were up. When you were down, you were down. We want to flip that around to where now you're a thermostat. Mm-hmm. You're the one that adjusts the temperature. Yeah. So you, you can, you know, if you, yeah. So... <laughs> This will reveal my unhealth, but I've been in counseling for years. And mm-hmm. as you're saying, I'm like, yes, lower the contact. You're, you're in separate homes. I am a grown adult now. I can do whatever I want. There's no obligation, blah, blah, blah. But it shows my unhealth when I hear the guilt screaming, well, that's not what a child does. A child should be this for their parent or that for their parent or for the sibling or for whoever it is. Mm-hmm. So that shows a sign of unhealth for me then that that guilt is still so loud. Yep. So that guilt it has been conditioned into you. No one is supposed to make you feel guilty. It's a, it's a method called the fog method, fear, obligation, and guilt. Because if someone can hijack your emotional center, center and make you feel guilty or make you feel like you're doing something wrong or make you feel like you're obligated, you have the potential to change your mind into, in, into caving to whatever demand it is. You know, and so this is what's developed the people pleasing quality uh, in not not only you, but with other people, right? That because I feel guilty, right? Well, maybe I should, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe, but that's not true because the reality of it is, is that if you didn't feel guilty, you would be doing something else. This is what's called emotional blackmail. 
And so this person is, is basically emotionally blackmailing you to, uh, to get you to uh, serve whatever needs, whatever, uh, you know, and so whether that is emotional needs. Um, and so what we have to understand is that we need boundaries in five different areas. We need them. We need mental boundaries and we need emotional boundaries, physical boundaries, um, t- uh, boundaries around our time and our energy and our financial boundaries. Mm. Well, when someone is making you feel guilty and it works, that is a dynamic where I, I know that that person is struggling with their mental and their emotional boundaries, right? Understanding that uh, because even though we may feel guilty, but we want to go do, let's say that a narcissistic parent wants you to become a doctor, but you want to become a lawyer and you go to law school and they're like, uh, and they say something like, um, after all the things that I've done for you and you decide that you want to go to to this school, when I saved all this money for you to go to to X school and for you to become a doctor, we've been talking about that and, and making you feel guilty about that. For you to change your mind, not only are you enabling the behavior, right? Because let's say that you decide to switch schools, you decide to switch degree plans because you want to please this person. Mm-hmm. We assume that that's going to stop and it's going to stop us stop us from feeling guilty. We, it actually makes the person who, who, who falls for that um, feel more resentment because now you're not living the life that you want. You mm-hmm. live a very unfulfilled life. Right. There's a lot of people who are married to people that they shouldn't be married to because their parents guilted them, guilted them into it. You know, and so it's important for people to understand and for them to realize that uh, the difference between I actually feel guilty because I stomped on this person's foot or whatever. And I actually did something versus this. This is someone who's trying to manipulate me into um, into fulfilling whatever wish or dream that they did. It goes so what, deep. It yeah, goes it does. so deep. Yeah, so it, the roots are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, because one of the things you said is like, what type of child does this to their parent? Right. And that's something that a lot of parents who have manipulative tendencies do and say, they make you feel obligated to listen. But what it really comes down to, and I can't stress this enough that people who do this have a deep rooted insecurity. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to fulfill their own needs. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that they're trying to use you and trying to do that through you but you have your own life. You aren't, you know, even though you're their child, you, this is your life. You didn't ask to be here. Mm -hmm. Right. And the things that they provided, the things that they're hanging over your head, you know, that was their responsibility as an adult and as a parent, not that that wasn't, you know, so you have to ask yourself, they were doing these things to rub in your face. Were they doing them for the right purposes? Mm -hmm. The answer to that is, is a clear cut. No. I just want to cut away real quick to tell you a little bit about the course that we are offering this fall because good grief. I mean, if this podcast doesn't tell you, it's telling me there's so much that we have to learn as survivors of abuse. And I hate that. And I know, Mary, you hate when I say healing is a lifelong journey, Uh. (laughs) but it is just true. And I I personally love that there's always more to receive. Like, I feel like every decade we get an opportunity to be healthier people and through our health, like we find more happiness and joy too. And we really find what matters. And so I love what we're learning right now in this podcast. I can't wait to unpack more with Matt here in a few minutes, but I wanted to just tell you about unleash and unleash is an eight week course 
and a virtual support group where you'll meet with me, you'll meet with Mary. Also, we often have trauma therapists that are involved that are co-leading the group. It's just a really great experience for survivors to come together. They're small groups. We never have more than eight. And it's just an opportunity to be able to continue to walk through some of the stuff of our healing journey and we can do it together. And that's the best part of it, where you can come be yourself, show up as you are. There's no expectations, no judgments. We can share the things we're kind of going through. We're watching the same videos together each week before we show up. Then there's the journal prompts that you can kind of go through. And then we just talk about it and we laugh and we connect. And these groups have been so fun. Everyone's staying in touch even after the eight weeks are gone because we've developed these amazing friendships with other survivors that oftentimes we don't think that it's even possible for us. So please check it out. It's at IamOneVoice.org. You can find out when the groups are starting, the cost of them. And by the way, as a podcast listener, you can get $50 off. Just put in the code FRIEND50 when you check out. Again, it's IamOneVoice.org for the fall groups. They start in September. We would really love to have you join us. There's a few seats in all of the groups that are still offered right now. So can you call these behaviors out in any way? Like, like again, what Mary was sharing about, like a, like a parent, you know, because a lot of times we do want to try to hold on to a relationship. We just don't want them to be ridiculous. It's not so much that we call the behaviors out. We mm-hmm. set good, healthy boundaries. Okay. So what good, healthy boundaries look like? Because we have to understand, let's talk about what boundaries are for. A lot of times people, you know, that's a, a, a phrase that people talk about, but people don't really haven't really broken down what boundaries are actually for. They're there to protect, to protect you. And then people are like, well, protect me from what? To protect you from people who are manipulative, people who are abusive, harassing, right? All of the type of things that, that, that we talk about. So if someone is trying to, you know, um, but you're my child and, uh, you know, and um, I can't believe that you're, you're treating me this way. Um, it's completely okay. Not only is it okay, it is healthy. You have to understand that all, all relationships need boundaries, but the healthy ones that you, that we see every day that thrive, they have boundaries and they, and everyone respects each other's boundaries. The problem here is that we have one person that's not setting boundaries and the other person that doesn't respect boundaries. Mm. And so it is completely okay for you to, uh, you know, for you to say, you know, I understand, you know, how you feel, you know, and I respect how you feel, but my decision is to do this, right. And for you to understand and for you to process, even if you do feel guilty to, for you to process that guilt, for us to take ownership and responsibility for our emotions. And guess what? It is actually okay for them to take responsibility for theirs, Mm -hmm. right? And when we let go of the fact of us that we need to control other people's emotions, number one, we can't. Number two, it hasn't worked up until this point, Mm -hmm. right? Number three, with boundaries 101, it, 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 it goes back to who's responsible for what. You are not responsible for their emotions. Even if they get angry, that's their responsibility to deal with. Yeah. And if they get in and we have to think about this, if someone if you set a good, healthy boundary and someone gets angry about it, right, because you want to live the life that is fulfilling to you, you have to sit back and you have to ask yourself, does this person really actually care? Because if I'm telling you that this is what I want to do 
Yeah. Right? And I, and this person throws a tantrum uh-huh. because you're not doing what they want you to do. Does that person really care about me? The answer is no. Hmm. They only, you are only there to please. And they're basically they're using you. Yeah. Yeah. Right? To fulfill their own needs, whether it be emotional, physical, financial, you know, going back to that list of boundaries in reverse, they're using you likely in, in multiple, multiple aspects. So that's the reason why we, when we set boundaries, all we have to do, once you get really good at boundaries, your relationships, all of your relationships change for the better. You start cutting, you, you won't tolerate the toxicity because all you have to do is set a boundary. And then at that point, you sit back and collect data. How is this person responding to it? Right. So the person who um, people who I work with um, on dating, we talk about setting boundaries before, 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 Mm -hmm. right? Before you go on your first date, before you go to their house for the first time, before you get into their car for the first time, you know, all of these things. And Mm -hmm. so uh, one person I was working with at one point in time, um, you know, told this gentleman, you know, I, uh, you know, I don't kiss on the first date. I need to be home by 10, you know, um, you know, set all of her boundaries. Well, that what, what he did was, of course, after the date was wrapping up, he tried pressuring her into going to another place. He went in for a kiss and she's like, wait a minute, I, you know, I told you I need to be home by 10. He immediately had a tantrum, mm-hmm. right? Well, a lot of times people on the dating scene, because this goes back to having good self-esteem about yourself, will feel bad. They don't want to, they don't want to be rejected. Right. They don't right. want to be, they don't want to reject and they don't want to be rejected because yeah. we have to have everything work out or there's something wrong with us. Right. That's uh-huh. actually an insecure tendency. Uh-huh. Right? Someone who's healthy, someone who has a good level of self-esteem will do what she did. And like, listen, like, you know, so she basically cut that date. Right. And there's no reason to wonder if this is going to work out. Mm-hmm. Right. If this person, and especially for, for uh, people who listen to your podcast, who deal with sexual assault, Mm-hmm. Um, who may have dealt with date rape in the past and things like that, if they won't respect your boundary, then if they won't respect a simple boundary of I don't kiss on the first date, or I need to be home by 10, there is no chance there. We don't need to wonder what this person is going to be like in a relationship. We don't need to wonder uh, if this is going to work out, if this person is a narcissist, if this person is abusive, the yes, answer is yes. Absolutely. That's so good. Uh, yeah. I don't think we talk about that enough. I mean, these are like glaring red flags. And so often we overlook it because, you know, everyone else talks so highly of this person. Mm -hmm. And what would they say if I like didn't continue to pursue it or whatever? Like Mm -hmm. we just overlook it. Mm -hmm. And then, then we zero tolerance policy, (laughs) zero tolerance. Like we're not doing three strikes. You have one. In the, in the beginning, right. Um, They have not earned the right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And a lot of times people think that I'm really That's harsh good. with boundaries and things like that. But in the beginning, yeah. they, again, they have not earned the right, you know, but uh, you know, let's say that you, you've been married to someone, or let's say you've been in a relationship with someone and they've been respectful of your boundaries for, you know, years, decades, they, they've kind of built that equity. I'm not, you know, everyone should still have their deal breakers. Do not get me wrong. However, right. Let's say that someone has a rough day, right? And they say something they don't mean, things like that. Of course, it's your choice on, on how much leeway, how much, you know, uh, if, if you're going to give them a second chance, things like that. But, right, the completely different scenario than someone who right from the beginning is displaying 
that they don't have the ability or capability to uh, respect your boundaries um, or any desire to respect your boundaries. I like how you're saying like the boundaries are kind of the therapy because Mm -hmm. we all know they're not going to go to therapy. And if they do, it's going to be a manipulative tactic anyway. So Mm -hmm. we do actually have power in a relationship with a narcissist by setting the boundaries or disengaging. Um, Have you ever encountered a situation with a narcissist or someone who is in a relationship with a narcissist where um, it's almost like there is a conversation where things are pointed out and the narcissist actually sees it and it's almost like they get it, you know? Um, but then later it doesn't change anything. I would say almost every single time. Okay. It's called, yeah. It's called future faking because you What's have to understand again? Future it's called faking? future faking. Okay. Got it. You have so and, many um, terms. I feel like I need yeah. to take notes. Okay. There's a, there's, so that's called future faking. Okay. Um, it's, I mean, we can call it for what it is. It's manipulation, right? Yeah. That they see, you have to remember that the narcissist does not see you as a person who has their own feelings. They see you as a possession, right? And so what happens is that as they see you as a possession and they see that they're about to lose, what they really actually want is your attention and they want to continue to have control. Yeah. And so once they feel like they're starting to lose that control, it goes without, without saying that they're going to start promising, oh, you know what? I think you're right. Maybe I will go to therapy. Maybe, I, you know, just, just, uh, just um, you know, call your divorce lawyer. Like, let's just, let's just work it out. I, you know, you're right. Let's go to therapy because they start to see that, that they're losing their grip. They're losing their control. If it's, a, if it's a natural breakup, they see you actually packing your bags because the, the time that you actually stand up for yourself and you actually start moving out or you start the, the divorce proceedings, most likely in, in a lot of scenarios, that's the very first time that you ever set a boundary with them. Yeah. And so this is the first time, right? And so uh, then they, they get back into um, what they, the, into, this is another term that I don't like, but um, it's, it's called love bombing. A lot of people call it love bombing, but the clinical term is idealization phase. They, <clears throat> They start to say and do all of the right things. This is where the this is where the the parallels with an addiction come in. So someone, I'm going to pause. I'm going to put a bookmark with narcissism, and let's talk about someone who struggles with a heroin addiction for a second. Someone who struggles with a heroin addiction, they're the very first time that they ever use. They call it the most euphoric feeling that they've ever had in their life. From that point forward. What they do is they, they call it chasing the very first high, that they're, that they're trying to recreate that very first feeling. The problem is that it never happens. And so they have to use more time per use and they have to or use more heroin per use to try to recreate it. Right. We obviously know how, how destructive that becomes. So let's come over, come back over to narcissism. When we meet people, when people talk about how I think this person is my soulmate. I've never met anyone like this before. And, and that's how it is in the beginning, right? There's a, there eventually is a, a drop-off and we go from the idealization phase to what's called the devaluation phase. And that's when the narcissist stops treating you like they did in the beginning. They start to devaluing and devaluing you. This is when they start all of the abuse. Well, the problem in this, in, in this scenario is that once you decide that you want to leave and you start setting boundaries, um, they start to act like they did in the beginning to try to get you back. 
they start to recreate that that very first high again, mm. right? They they start love bombing again, yeah. like you know, a cycle and, of abuse, kind mm-hmm. of. Yeah. yeah, no, it's definitely a cycle of abuse, like a honeymoon phase mm-hmm. and all of that, right? And it's not it's never quite as good as it is in the beginning, you know, just like the person who struggles with the heroin addiction, but it um, but it makes you feel like okay, maybe we're headed back that way mm-hmm. because a part of the issue in these type of relationships is you have the the narcissist who is constantly devaluing, mm-hmm. but the, the codependent in the relationship is trying, is working their butt off to try to get it back to the love bomb, to the idealization phase, trying to get it back to the beginning when everything was perfect. And when I thought this person was my soulmate and yeah. that's where it becomes problematic. And so when the narcissist s- starts to drop those little intermittent love bomb uh, and um, you start to wonder, well, maybe this person gets it this time. Mm-hmm. Right. And you mm-hmm. start. And so you call the dogs off, so to speak, only to find out that this was just another one of their manipulative tactics. Hmm. Man. And then what's the healing look like for the codependent at that point? You know, obviously the boundaries are a way of like mm-hmm. self-care, really. I mean, I've learned that mm-hmm. in the last few years of like, this actually is self-care, like saying yeah. no self-care. Mary, yeah. you've learned that too, but is there, is there anything else? Like I'm thinking about what Mary was sharing. And then you said about the fog. Mm-hmm. So there's gotta be a place for a lot of, especially the survivors who are listening where you have to get through that almost stage. Mm-hmm. And would you just say, you just got to ramp up the self-care? No, there's a lot to it. Okay. Um, so number one, um, you, you have to, it, it's important that you understand um, narcissism in, in and of itself, mm-hmm. because a lot of people who leave begin to feel like it, like, uh, like they made a mistake. Um, the trauma bond starts, the, the withdrawal symptoms uh, that I was just talking about begin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that part is extremely difficult. You're crying, you're, you're grieving, yeah. you know, you are, um, you're angry, your emotions all over the place. This might be the first time in years that you've actually felt your emotions, right? Mm-hmm. You have to, you have to actually yeah. take responsibility for emotions that you yeah. likely have not taken a, taken a full responsibility for since you were like a child. Uh, so essentially to kind of everyone's situation is very, very different because some people they're co-parenting. So there's co-parenting issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but um we, so number one, we have to create physical distance and we have to minimize the amount of time that we're spending with the person who is creating the problem. You can't heal in the same place that you got sick. That's where a lot of people make mistakes. We have to, we have to stop watching them on social media. We have to stop talking about them because we have to, uh, we have to get rid of the addiction, so to speak. We have to get out of the withdrawal symptoms. Then that's when the healing process, the healing process can actually begin. And uh, to kind of, you know, cause I can go on for days about the healing process, but what, what has to happen is that we have to put the pieces together first. How did I get into this situation? Right. And we begin to kind of unwind a lot of the gaslighting, a lot of different stages where this person was questioning themselves, because quite often uh, on the surface, the person was questioning themselves and they, they definitely are likely to have trust issues because they allowed this to happen. Uh, so we put those pieces together that you know, we start to show them that you did trust, you knew this, you knew this going in, but because of your people pleasing tendencies, you allow a lot of these things to happen, right? Then once we put those pieces back together, 
right? We we put things in place like the boundaries, like um, like um, mindfulness and things like that to make sure that these things don't happen again, right? Because a lot of times people have uh, CPTSD, PTSD symptoms after coming out of situations like this. And so yeah, uh, everything to them looks like a threat, mm. right? Someone who comes up and says, Hey, you know, nice to meet you. Let's, uh, you know, let's, let's go out and they're being extre- extremely nice. They could be very genuine, maybe not, maybe not even a nar- narcissist, mm-hmm. but to you, that, that presentation is exactly what you had before, yeah. right? So you don't know the difference. And so, um, so long story short, we put those pieces back together mm-hmm. and then we learn how to number one, trust ourselves, because if we don't trust ourselves, then we don't trust the world around us. And what happens is that uh, essentially to kind of wrap all this up, people, we all need the world around us to match where we're at. It's, a, it's called incongruency, congruency, and then there's the reverse of that is incongruency. So if I feel bad about myself because of a bad relationship, and quite often you felt bad before you even got into it. Mm-hmm. you're going to attract things that make that, that confirm how you feel about yourself bad. Sure. Or if things are going good around you, you're going to begin to sabotage the things around you. Well, we have to reverse that. We have to begin to build that person's self-esteem back up, but it needs to come from them. Mm-hmm. Right. So we empower them to build themselves back up. And then now, because they feel good about themselves, now we're going to, make sure that the world around us matches where we're at. So we're going to be a better mother, better father. Um, We're only going to attract and be attracted to people who are healthy and respect boundaries as well. And so we make the world around us better as well. Mm. Wow. Thanks for the counseling session, Matthew. This (laughs) was really, really good. How can everyone find you? By the way, I need everyone to know Matthew is awesome on social media. I'm talking TikTok, Instagram, everything. Like you're so funny, but you're also like, just so it's like little snapshots of these wisdom bombs that he does like all the time. Like your stuff is so good. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yes. Where can people follow you? Where do you want them to buy your book? We'll put all the information for your book in the, in the bio and in the profile. You can pretty much find me anywhere you want on by going to Matt Pfeiffer coaching. So I'm on all social media platforms. Um, my website is mattpfeiffercoaching.com. Um, and in all of my social media platforms, uh, I also have links in my bio to schedule one-on-ones with me. I have a lot of different things coming up. Um, probably sometime next week, I'll, I'll be launching um, some different courses. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have a, a free Facebook support group called Wounded Healers, where you can talk to other survivors um, so I am all over the place, but if you go to mattfightforcoaching.com, you can find, um, you can literally find my podcast. You can find my book. I also have a bookstore that had on my, on my website that has everything that you could want, how to explain divorce to children, um, healing from this type of, uh, healing from trauma, healing from narcissistic abuse, abusive relationships, recognizing it. Um, it's, it's pretty much a one-stop shop. Yes. It absolutely is. And you have like trucker hats too. So yeah. Uh-huh. Trucker you have everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Matthew. This has been such a, such a joy and an honor to, to hear from you. And I know it's going to help so many people. Thank you very me. much. I appreciate you guys uh, having me. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review. If you heard something you liked, even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. 
You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.